Hello and welcome back to the Nowhere Office, wherever you are. With me, Julia Hobsbawm. And me, Stefan Stern. This is the podcast which looks at the world of work as it is, as it could be, should be, might be, with some of the leading thinkers and doers of the day. Well, we're still rooted in Europe this week. We've gone back, not to Davos, where we were for the last three episodes, but to the recordings we made in Vienna at the Global Drucker Forum. And we're bringing you Roger Martin, Professor Emeritus at the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, the best-selling thinker and author, one of the people voted number one management thinker in the world. What a glorious title that is. And Stefan, you caught up with him, didn't you? Yes, it was great to catch up with Roger. You had that spirit in Davos, but I think also in Vienna too, coming together again after so many years and we hadn't really been together, seeing each other in real life, as we say. And with Roger, you always get so much. You get the sort of analytical, you get the the big picture stuff, but also very human level. He's been talking about what he calls retail and wholesale management, small scale, remembering the human, and also um, gave me some very useful thoughts about meetings and how to run better meetings. And, and, and I've been able to draw on that for a piece for the FT. Let's go to that piece right now. Well, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Roger Martin, author, academic, consultant, formerly so many aspects to his life and many, many important publications. He's here also in Vienna at the Drucker Forum, where he's been a regular attendee for several years now, one of the long-term supporters of it. And now that we're all allowed to travel again, Roger, it's so nice to see people again in the flesh. Oh, it's great. I've known you now for 20 plus years and not seeing you for three or four years is, was like unusual in our history, right? Exactly. I mean, I had hair when we last met. <laughs> Me too. Now, we were, discuss- we were discussing getting together again in real life and Amy Edmondson just now on the platform with you said, you know, what is the work? It seems to be one of the questions about hybrid and how we're going to work in the future. Perhaps that could start, but perhaps quite a good place to start. What, what work do we need to do? When do we need to get together and when not? Yeah, I, I guess I think we need to get together only when we need to do something generative in the moment. Right? Right, right. So, I mean, I think in pre-COVID world, we got together for way too many things. We got together for me to broadcast something to you, right? Like I, I was, you know, as dean of the Business School at the University of Toronto for a while, and there's a, the most prestigious managerial layer of, of the University of Toronto is principals and deans. So it's the president and the vice presidents mm. and the, all the principals of the colleges and the deans of the faculty run by the provost. And I would say to the provost, you know, we don't actually have to get these these 25 people together to hear somebody make a presentation that you could have emailed us. And then we could get together for shorter periods of time and discuss <laughs> the presentation that we'd all, all read. And I couldn't, I couldn't get, I, I, I couldn't change the, the behavior. So I ended up stopping going. I just said, I, I because they did email the pre- presentations out. So mm-hmm. I said, that's, I don't need somebody to, to broadcast it. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think what, the best response to COVID hybrid work, et cetera, is, is to, is to recognize that you're going to have to carefully curate physical meetings. So if you want people to show up for a physical meeting to drive in from the suburbs or take the train in from the, the, the suburbs, that it's going to have to be a meeting where it is obvious in the meeting that we needed to be here 
together to generate something special. And if at the end of the meeting they say, I didn't really need to be there, we didn't need to be, be here, they won't come the next time. And so I think it's sort of a new skill that leaders are going to have to develop, which is this how to curate an experience. And that means things like there has to be a purpose for every person who's invited to the meeting. Right? If you invite somebody to a meeting to listen, nope, not going to work. You've got to invite people and say, Stefan's job, Stefan represents the whatever East Coast kind of customer understanding. He, under, he understands those and we're going to be talking about, talking about this new product and, and he's going to be the voice of the customer for the East Coast. Marie-Louise is West Coast. She's going to be the voice of the customer for there and, and that's going to be important to the dynamics of the meeting to have the voice there. But if I'm the leader of the meeting, I've called the meeting, I've asked you all to be there, and I have Ray. I don't know what, yeah, no, we don't, well, don't, don't invite Ray then, yeah. right? Invite only people who you have a role for. And you know, as well as I know, that's not how meetings mm. used to be called. It's sort of like, well, let's get everybody, let's get, out, let's get the whole team together. Mm. They won't put up with that anymore, is my, is my okay. belief. And so I think the important word there was generative it's yeah. something that's produced and co-produced at the same time. That's, that's right. Because, I mean, it's sort of the difference between synchronous and asynchronous to a certain extent. Like, all right, you, you just can't do it asynchronously. You need all the people there to hear what they're saying and in real time say, well, yeah, what about this? What about, what about that? And, I mean, there's a bit of higher bar too, right? It's like it, it, you can't do it on Zoom because Zoom is synchronous, right? Mm. But Zoom doesn't have the same kind of interaction you it's harder to have a whiteboard that everybody's looking on adding things up to voting on 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 things but again there's the higher bar the higher bar is if people say i could have done this from my zoom workstation and i resent coming in from westchester taking an hour and a half then it's not sustainable am i getting a little echo here of some of the arguments in the opposable mind about integrative thinking, because we could talk about hybrid and we make it sort of either or and we get a bit crude and simple about it, but you're really trying to integrate this process. You, you've got it. You've got it. Yeah. I, what I want to, what I, and, and I'm doing what I call in a, another of my books on integrative thinking, decomposition move. I'm going to uh -huh. decompose the problem into it's not management getting together. It's, it's times when management doesn't and times when it does, and here's how we're going to treat times when it does. And I think the way we need to treat it is to invest a lot more prep time in that than we do now. Right? The prep time often in a, in a traditional office would be you send your secretary down, down the hall to say, hey, let, let's all meet. Right? That's the prep, the total prep time. Yes. I think it's now going to be like a whole number of person hours of you thinking about the, the, the meeting, having an agenda for it, knowing what you're trying to create generatively, you're going to have to have that as the cost of, cost of entry. In this way, I think you can get something better. It's the classic integrative thinking. I think, I think you'll have people, you know, kind of at home Zooming when there's no good reason for them to, to do, do something else and being happier doing that and more productive doing that. 
and then the meetings where you are together physically, they're going to be really high-valuated meetings that are way higher-valuated than they were before because you've had to overcome this challenge of they ain't going to show up unless you have them well curated. Mm. Well, just now, you were going way back to Rabbi Hillel and the Golden Rule, and it was great to hear that while we're in this new, exciting modern world, there's also some old lines that are worth bearing with. But tell me a bit more about that, because you know leaders are faced with this, we hope now, post-COVID world. We're trying to bring organizations together, either literally or at least metaphorically. And what, 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 what else are you saying to leaders about how to kind of reinvigorate, reinstill that energy and, and momentum into the organization? Well, one thing that I'm, I preach often is, is you just got to think about leadership as retail, not wholesale. There's so much about management that we'd like to be wholesale. It's I, I, will, do, I will do the broadcast email to everybody. That's, that's wholesale. I will write the memo on, on this and, and distribute it. That's, that's wholesale. Retail is... Is I'm going to press the flesh. I'm 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 going to I'm going to go talk to that person one on one, and it's so easy for leaders to say I'm busy. I can't do that. I don't have time for that. No, the reason you are busy is you haven't taken the time for that, and now you have to have all sorts of meetings with people to keep them from saying I hate this place. And and it's and they they people on the receiving end of wholesale things feel like they're part of some giant machine. It doesn't feel human scaled. And, and that, that just creates all sorts of uh, other turbulation, tur- uh, turbulence, I should say, mm-hmm. that, that requires further fixing. It's, it's like, this back to Deming principles, right? Mm-hmm. Design quality in to your interactions so you don't have to take the car apart when it doesn't mm-hmm. start at the end of the assembly line and spend thousands of thousands of, of dollars on it. I would say the same for the modern manager. Design quality in, and that means not doing things mm-hmm. wholesale because it seems efficient when it is, in a more holistic sense, grotesquely inefficient because you have to do all sorts of rework. Yeah. It strikes me again that you're really a problem solver, aren't you? It's, it's also that integrative thinking, but you really, when you're fixing the game on top pay, or so many of your books really, you kind of march straight towards a, a problem, an abrasion, a friction, and you kind of say, why, what's going on? Is that, where, what you, where's that sort of thinking taking you right now? Yeah, no, well, it's, it, one is, is human scale. You know, it's a mystery what, when we know there are important scale economies to be getting big mm-hmm. and many companies getting really big, but it's a bit of a mystery as to why so many of them fall apart. Right, the huge turnover in the Dow Jones 30, you know, you'd think once you get that scale and scale advantage, Bruce mm-hmm. Henderson would have taught us, founder of BCG would have said, you know, if you're price ahead of the learning curve and, mm-hmm. and have more cumulative scale than your competitors, you'll, you'll win. It's not happening. So this is the kind of problem I tackle. When mm-hmm. something, when the theory says something should be happening mm-hmm. and it most definitively is not, I need an explanation. What, why, why is the obvious thing not happening and a non-obvious thing happening, which is little companies beating the crap out of, of companies that have giant scale. And so I'm, I think, I think that there's that you know organizations are people. It's all about about humans. Mm-hmm. And if you create a company that feels to every human in it like that human is minuscule, a tiny little bug in this giant thing. Mm-hmm. 
you're going to get the kind of results you get on these on these engagement surveys, the Pew engagement surveys, which are like scary. Fifty percent of people yes. disengage. You know, twenty percent of people actively disengaged, yes. and and you know, a third of people actually kind of showing up and trying to do their job. Right? <laughs> these are scary, yes. scary, but. I think it's because because our modern company is not designed to feel human scale, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in you know the, the, I've done a little bit of stuff with Hire lately, and and mm-hmm. and I I think of their solution as a human scale solution. It's aimed at they don't explicitly say it, but I think in behind why it's as successful as it is is it mm-hmm. is it takes a large company like a fifty billion dollar company mm-hmm. and have it be feel to everybody in it as if they are part of a little thing and they don't feel awkward about it yeah i, I th- this harkens back i I have this sort of like weird mental filing system <laughs> where where I just I, I have experiences where I think. That's interesting, but I have no idea what to make of it. So I just file it away until I have. And this was a conversation that I had with a colleague of mine at Monitor Company. Mm. It would have been in the early 90s, so we're talking 30 years ago. Mm. And we were he was an architect by training, turned a strategy consultant. And we just had some spare time, and we were walking around, and he was showing me midtown Manhattan buildings. And he would ask me, We'd go into the lobby of an office building or 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 you know, a museum or, or whatever, and he would say, "How do you feel? Like, do you feel comfortable here, or does it feel a little odd off to you?" And and I would tell tell him what I felt, and and he, after a few buildings, he would say, "So here's the deal: you say you feel comfortable in all the places where the architect has been careful." not to make you feel small, not to give you Mm. cues that you are Mm. tiny. This is grand and you are tiny. In Mm. fact, the ones that you liked best were the ones where they have consciously tried to break up the space in a way that makes you feel feel like you're not small. And Grand Grand Central Station was, was, was one of them, and it is huge and grand, but I felt comfortable. And if you think about it, there's all sorts of ways, tiers, layers, little nooks and crannies mm-hmm. and, and the like. And it, and it felt it didn't make me feel tiny, even though they call it Grand Central <laughs> Station. So I, I've, that's been in the back of my mind for 30 years. And, I, and, and I'm more thinking that the big companies of today are sending more and more cues to their employees. You are. Stefan, you're little. You're tiny, tiny, tiny little gnat. Now it's important that you're there, and we need all of you people working hard. But but they make you feel feel that that way. They wholesale too much to you. They are quite explicit about how much they are happy to standardize in a way that is annoying for you, but really handy for them. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, yes, we'd like to give you that that extra benefit that you're looking for, but mm-hmm. I'm, you know, if we did that, it would screw up all of our systems. Standard is this, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. What is that essentially designed to make you feel? Small, mm-hmm. tiny, mm-hmm. inconsequential, mm-hmm. as opposed to a system that would, that would say, and, and some companies are getting better at this, is saying, here's here you, you know you qualify for ten thousand dollars worth of benefits, and here's the whole menu. You want daycare, you want 
you know, Stefan, mm-hmm. you know, to design, design your own way to spend it. That's, that's like perfectly tuned to you. And it doesn't matter how complicated that is for us because it's mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. What do you feel? You feel big rather than feel small. The architecture point is so nice. We, among financial journalists, we used to have a joke. I think we called it the inverse atrium rule. And the bigger and grander the atrium and the fountain, the more likely the bank was about to collapse. So, oh, we, were, so we were touching on that. But not quite, not quite yeah. to such a systemic point as you were making. But going back, to your, going back to your early training as an economist that you also just mentioned, I mean, the Pew and the Gallup surveys about the lack of engagement. As you know, formal, conventional e- economists scratching their heads in mature economies about terrible low productivity, certainly in the UK, I think yeah. less so in the US, but still a problem. But then you look at the lack of engagement, well, it's, it's not surprising. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you've got all these disengaged people. How are they going to be productive? And, and, and you know, productivity, for, for me always, productivity is, is just a process. It's continuously improving. You can't make these giant jumps in, in productivity. It's, it's of any company, you're just getting a little bit better, a little bit better. How does that happen? It happens by having engaged employees who are saying, you know what, the way we're doing this is, is it's okay, but it could be this better. Disengaged employees doing that? Hell no, they're going to do Sudoku. And instead of trying to figure out how to make things just a little bit better, just a little bit better, just a little bit better. So yeah, I, I, I suspect there is a, a direct correlation. And, and Gallup and, and Pew do some work on that to say we correlations with productivity and the like. And, and I, I buy it totally. So is, is this the next book in the, in the pipeline about this sort of retail wholesale distinction and the small employee and the big employee? I just had a chat with my beloved longtime editor about that very thing. So it, it let's say it's high on the list of, of, possibles. of, of, of possibles. It, it probably is the leading, the leading candidate. What do you think, Stefan? Do you think that would make an interesting book? I think, it's, I think it's a great idea and it would be great for here at the Nowhere Office podcast to have the world exclusive on the next Roger Martin book because we all look forward to them so so much yes well you, then you have it you have it <laughs> Stefan Roger thanks so much for your time as usual thank you <laughs> you're welcome always well he was brilliant actually wasn't he Roger Martin and I'm reminded actually of the great orators in political speech writing there's a sort of cadre of management thinkers that give just such good sound bites Stefan yes and very nice to get that little inside track hint of what his next book might be about you always come away from a chat with Roger with, with so much more to think about. He's such a clear thinker and a natural teacher, I always think, as well as a problem solver. Just a refreshing and invigorating person. The reason why we bring you someone like Roger Martin is because we want to go beyond the here and now of the moment of the Nowhere office, Nowhere being an anagram of here and now, but we want to look deeper as well into the systemic ideas that underpin what we think some of the solutions are going to be. That's not to say that we're not across some of the very real live issues that continue to swirl around. For instance, the week that this episode is recorded and going out, the head of the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, with about 200,000 members, their chief, Tony Danker, said that he thought most bosses were secretly wanting their workers to go back to the office. The arguments still do rage. But we want to give you a kind of perspective, don't we, Stefan, in in what is otherwise a very sort of slightly mad, feverish landscape 
I mean, this week has been yet another rather flustered agenda. In addition to the CBI reference to working from home, we also had quite an influential piece by Gerard Baker in The Times, pretty much laying the blame for a low productivity and inflation and all the other ills of the economy on work from home. Yes, I think it's a bit premature to declare that working from home has been the problem. I mean, it's made a lot of things possible. And the challenge now is to, to make this work, make this new flexibility work, which we've talked about for so long. We haven't really had it. I, I don't think we can blame the working from home people for keeping the show on the road. We've got to make this work together. I think that's right. And just to emphasise again, the Nowhere Office isn't advocating for no office. It's about being in offices for the right reasons in the right way taking advantage of what the office is for and what it isn't for. And actually, we're going to hear next week, aren't we, Stefan, from Frauke von Pollier. Tell us a bit about who she is before we hear a snippet to play us out. Frauke is the chief people officer for Feesman, the engineering group, a fourth-generation family-owned business. They're making boilers and refrigerators, and we're going to hear from her why she thinks people really matter. It's almost an, an added layer of complex conversations, yeah? Because it's not a zero, one answer. Yeah, come to office, come not to office or something. Exactly to, to our point, it has to do with personal preferences, introverted, extroverted, having, you know, children at home, not children, having a space at home where I can work or not. So, thank you for joining us here on The Nowhere Office with me, Julia Hobsbawm. And me, Stefan Stern. And we're a fully connected production Music is by Julian Brejean. Thank you very much. Bye-bye for now. Goodbye.